your source for stateside views on Everton Football Club. Hosted by Alex Johnson, James Boyman, and Ryan Williams. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the American Toffee Podcast. We have the full power trio in attendance today. James joined by Alex and Ryan after Everton temporarily at least escaped the relegation zone with a 1-0 win at home against Leeds United. Seamus Coleman, moment of brilliance from a tight angle, catching Melier off his line. And that takes it to six of nine points for Sean Dyche in his short Everton tenure thus far and consecutive clean sheets at home. Also, the first time we've won two in a row at home since April of last year. Of course, those were also desperately needed wins at the time. And needless to say, this one was as well. We will get into all of the details. Not the prettiest game, but plenty to talk about before we get into it all. Just a reminder that if you enjoy the show, please leave us a rating and review on your podcast platform of choice. Helps us out a ton. Uh, follow us on social media at USA Toffee Pod, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and join our Discord, invite.gg slash ATP. All right, guys, let's get into it. Everton win. It's a joyous occasion. The first time we've had the power trio here for a win in a little while. And we'll kick things off with instant match reactions. Over to you, Alex. Yeah, it was a good win. I uh, <laughs> I really enjoyed this one by Andy Watt at Watt A Wild World. Seamus definitely meant that. The Goodison Cafu rolls back the years, deserved, albeit nervy win, had the chances to win, and just glad we got that one. Yeah, and I went with Vic Lindsay at Victor Lindsay, who said, a worldie a day keeps relegation at bay, up the toffees, short and sweet, and to the point, really liked that one. What do you choose, Ryan? I went with Griff, C underscore Griff 314, Casey Griffin, friend of the show, um, he said, we are awful at taking chances, but we are finally creating them. We won't face a worse team than the rest the rest of the season, so we'll need to do much better if we're going to continue to get points. Much happier with the midfield today, though, uh, especially Ghana and Decore. It brings up a greater philosophical discussion that I think we'll touch a little bit along the ways. It's the creating chances the way we are versus converting them. Um, and if we kind of have the right tools to to do this and do it, consistently greater question as we go on um lots of score predictions today huh yeah we had a bunch of correct score prediction i i believe the total was nine we had abm sludvigs everton fury 19 sean Kahn, tony sampson with an uncharacteristic prediction of a win and was rewarded for it carter f s juder joe de hill and ntx blue 1878 Tip of the hat to you guys for the optimism. I was not quite as optimistic, but I'm thrilled nonetheless with the result. Uh, now let's get into the lineups as we customarily do, Ryan, starting with Leeds. Just one point above us going into the match today. Obviously, recently sacked Jesse Marsh and are kind of wading through the aftermath of that as they fight relegation as well. It's an unchanged lineup from their last match. Um, they've been starting the two Americans in the midfield. Um yeah, I mean, Tyler Adams is is the one guy that's going to kind of dictate from deep and play more as the six. Uh, I don't think McKinney's really found his groove yet or figured out how he's going to play in that what should maybe be a double pivot. They still play up-tempo. They play aggressive. It's kind of all over the place. Uh, I think their big danger guy is Nanto. He's a, he's a dribbling maniac. He normally plays on the left, and I think going into this one, that was the matchup I think we had reason to be concerned about. Coleman had looked a step slow. Cody's on that side, who is a step slow. 
I, I mean, I think the one reason why I was hopeful that Leeds might be the third team to get dragged into the relegation battle um, is they've just got inconsistencies in their goalkeeper. Um, he's good at shot stopping, but struggles in the air and does some things. He's very young still. Um, and goal scoring. They really don't have a proven number nine. Uh, Patrick Bamford is very clever in terms of his movement, um, but not known for his finishing. And uh, we saw a little bit of that today. You know, they just didn't have that person to step up and really take one of their chances, even if they didn't create a ton of them. Um, Alex, the Everton lineup was not too many surprises other than up top. Yep. It was only one change. Uh, compared to the last time out against Liverpool, which saw him. Neil Mopé come in from Ellis Sims up top. Um, I think we were all probably, at least on the USA Toffee Pod, happy that we saw him uh, given a, a chance up top to start. I personally was surprised there were no changes on defense. You know, we had four center backs on the bench, and yet Connor Cody still prevailed in his starting role. You know, questions like, is, is Ben Godfrey really not a better option on uh, one of the fullback positions? And unfortunately, no gray again from the start. So questions still loom as to how he is going to fit in into a dice setup. But overall, obviously, with a win, um, he was vindicated in his selection. So, Ryan, why don't you give us the breakdown on the tactics that saw us secure that victory? It, it looked like the same 5-4-1 we've seen. It's a similar setup. Now, the moped back at center field is a little different because um, he's trying to track down fly balls and uh, he's not going to jump over anyone and get him. Um, I, I did like his inclusion from a pressing standpoint. And I think he was in his annoying self at times. But what we did see is we saw Nana pushing up a little higher as a target. And they seemed like they were spreading some of the deeper distribution out a little bit, which I think makes sense. I mean, a guy like Alex Awobi can kind of back into someone like Junior Furpo and maybe create some space. And McNeil's not a short guy, so he can get his head on stuff. Uh, what I saw more was us pushing up the midfield when the ball went up, when the hoof ball happened, to try and get on second balls. And, and we saw some of that uh, defensively. We saw some more of the backing up at times. There were a few times where I thought we'd step in and make a tackle. Um, but I did see Connor Cody getting up tighter on Bamford at times, which was smart. It's okay to take a foul every now and then, you know, to get on him. Um, but I thought the key matchup was was Nanto out there dealing with Coleman like we talked about. And and definitely Alex Wobie was making a conscientious effort to go deeper along with Seamus Coleman and handle him. And and I, I think they they handled him very well. I mean, to the point where it almost pushed them to to have the ball more and attack on the right side. I mean, their top four touch guys Luke Ayling, Tyler Adams, um, Meslier, and, and Cook are, are all on that side, kind of floating that way. You saw Harrison floating that way a lot, who is kind of in a 10. Um, and it was so bad at one point, Nanto needed to flip over to the right side. I mean, just look, the output, if you just look at the tackles, is a pretty impressive numbers, I think. Yeah, I mean, Coleman three for three in tackles, Awobi five for six. And Nanto was pocketed the, basically the entire match. And that was, you know, Leeds fans have been singing his praises over the last few weeks. I saw one tweet the other day saying they thought he was like the mo one of the most promising young players in world football. Maybe a bit hyperbolic, but he is certainly a talent. And Coleman made him look very, very average today at best. I mean, he's young for sure. Um, not tall. Can I mention that? Uh <laughs> But look, uh, on the other side, it's not like Somerville had a lot more success, too. I think he had like eight turnovers. And, and look, I mean, Mikalinka was aggressive. He was fired up. You could tell he was he was open to the challenge. He did not have the best match against Liverpool and, and madly let the game play early, which I think helped us a lot. I mean, if you allow Mikalinko to get on someone and grab him a little bit, 
Um, he can be an effective player, at least effective defender. We know his foot speed's not the greatest, but he has decent size and length from that side. And look, our attack seemed very, very focused on getting the ball into wider areas. And, and we saw a lot of crosses, especially down down the left side. I mean, McNeil was, what, three for 15? He had 15 cross- He had 11 crosses in the first half, and it felt like it. Um, I thought Awobi was very effective when he had it, but it just looks different out there because he's not necessarily going after that wide space. He's kind of backing up and letting other people go into it. Um, I think ultimately, though, what we saw is we saw Everton did a good job of getting the ball in dangerous places. I don't know if it was pure lack of finishing or lack of quality in, in the chances being created themselves. Um, but I think it was just in general lack of quality in the final third. Otherwise, I think Everton played played pretty well. Um, the attacking numbers and distributions down the side was interesting. I think that that big number for leads down the right side was very much because Coleman and Awobi were were doing a great job, not just shutting uh, Nanto down, but denying him the ball to begin with. Yeah, I mean, a very balanced attack from Everton. We had 36% down the left, 40% down the right, and 25% down the middle. On the other hand, leads to Ryan's earlier points, almost 50% down the right-hand side. So we were very good at kind of forcing them to one side, whereas we picked our spots. But in those wide areas, we did have good balance, and we created chances, I think, starting from both flanks throughout the match. And if you look at the pass map, I mean, it's all clustered around Leeds' deeper right side. And and that's, that's how I felt like it was. It felt like every single time... And there is a tendency to do this if you're if you're a player or a team where you've got someone who's really good 1v1. You want to stay, as as Cruyff would say, you can do him a favor by being a good dribbler by running away from him. And I get that. But ultimately, if it's not effective, you've got they've got this pass map that's basically like Nanto completely by himself out there. And McKenney, God knows what he was doing, just kicking it back to Tyler Adams and doing nothing with it. Uh, whereas Everton was certainly more balanced. Um chaotic at times of course you know but but we had a little more possession than i think we typically would uh but certainly we looked a little more organized a little more shape and and look whether we had the quality or not the intent was clear the identity was clear i thought at a minimum and that's something that very much lacked i think against liverpool yeah agreed and you see in our average shape we had Ducore and onana both pushed up pretty high to kind of play that supporting role off of mopai whereas ghana clearly indicated that he was intended to stay deep and he did that well um all three of the midfield were were decent today i mean we'll talk about kind of the standout performances and the timeline after this quick break for a word from our sponsors all right folks we are back and we are ready to get into the thrilling timeline i think first and foremost we do have to mention um, that there was a moment of remembrance for former Everton player Loney Christian Atsu who unfortunately was found dead in the aftermath of the earthquakes in Turkey um, a sad moment. Some of you, most of you will probably remember his lone stint in Everton and just a really tragic situation over there, not just for him, but for everyone impacted. So thoughts and prayers with with Turkey and everyone impacted. Yeah, you know, I have a I have a pretty special or, or somewhat special memory of Atsu signing for Everton. That was the first summer I started following the club. And it was actually the first day that I found the Liverpool Echo online because I wanted to learn about the club a little bit more. And so I find the Liverpool Echo online. I don't even know how. And that was the day that we signed Christian Atsu on loan. And I read the article and I thought that was really cool. I remember sitting at my parents' house just, I don't know, checking it out. So for whatever reason, for whatever it's worth, it's actually one of my very first memories of of watching or or following Everton many, he's many a, moons ago. He's a tricky player. It's unbelievable. He scored the game winner off. Uh, I mean, it looked like it was kind of a strange set piece. And then earthquake hits uh, and our hearts go out to everyone in Turkey. There are a lot of Everton fans there too. Um, I've gone back and forth with a few of them myself. There are listeners to the show 
in Turkey, which we very much appreciate. So, um, yeah, it's just a tough situation. The videos are just horrifying. And I, this was a strange situation where the club said he was okay, but he wasn't. And, but it looked like his agent confirms just, it's a shame. It's definitely a shame. Um, put a damper on things, but, um, it definitely inspired some people in the stadium too, to get fired up early for Everton as well. And, and I thought we started off pretty well. Yeah. Agreed. I mean, the, the very early play, it was kind of frantic, obviously immensely important game for both teams. And I think the first key moment very early on was in the 20th minute, Cody launches one forward. Melier comes out to grab it. He flubs it. Uh, and uh, Onana gets credit there for kind of busting up the play and forcing the error. McNeil gets the ball in a dangerous spot, but unfortunately it's on his right foot. And so he does not take a shot for the second consecutive game, um, plays it back to Onana, play gets broken up. And then there was a nice play. I just want to give a hat tip to Adrissa Gay for rinsing and nutmegging Weber, uh, wide right, who cut it back to Onana, who again fired over the bar. Um, Wober was struggling early. He was hurting. And then of course, eventually I believe was subbed off. Um, but Everton kind of in command or at least creating the better chances from the get go. We had a couple megs today. I feel like, uh, a Wobi had his, you know, routine. I love him at the end of the match when he's just trying to dance around with the ball. It's absolute comedy. Um, you imagine him like growing up, like playing street ball. I mean, it would have just been insane. Oh, oh God, be brutal. Um, I would have kicked him anyway. Uh, yeah, Everton had two big chances off corners kind of in sequence. And I think that got everyone pretty fired up as well. And they're big chances. I mean, you know, in the 33rd, the one where basically two balls got saved off the line, one was fairly harmless, but the final was kind of a headed in cross from McNeil. I think it was who had taken the corner and the moped. It's a really good header too. um, just happened to be someone on the left side. I think it was McKenny who went right to him. And then the 37, Tark has a great play where he kind of goes over guys. He uses his body pretty well. Um, he doesn't have the best leap, but he is strong and he gets his head right on this. And it's a good save as well. It's kind of one of those feelings where or games where you thought, you know, the set piece is going to be our main way to score here. But man, if he's going to be standing on his head like this, it's going to be tough. Um, but James, you're right to your point. People were really fighting. You know, this was a very important match for both teams. Uh, it was sloppy. It was kind of how a Leeds match tends to be. And tempers got the best of some people kind of right before half in a uh, almost bizarre incident. I don't know why McNeil took such umbrage to the foul by Tyler Adams, but um, as as the American Toffee podcast, I think we all know that Tyler Adams, while a very good player, he definitely gets under people's skin. He's an intense guy. He's vocal. So I, I get that. But then this thing got totally out of control. McKenny was probably to be, to be blamed for most of this in terms of taking it up a notch, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, everyone just grouped up, starts shoving and, and pushing. And it, and it really boils over once McNeil ends up kind of uh, off the pitch and, and tumbles into the advertising board and the players. You know, I think McKenny is then shoving people and Ducore goes absolutely nuts. I think you see at the end, Cody is like, just holding him, screaming at him just to like chill out a little bit. And of course, you know, we see, I think uh, McNeil, Ducore, Adams and McKenney, correct me if I'm wrong, all get yellows in that instance towards the end of the first half, which, you know, Ducore getting yellow is not ideal for us, but seeing Adams and McKenney at that point getting a yellow before, you know, the end of the first half is probably really big for, you know, how the game was going to progress. And, um, you know, I think, I think going into halftime, the commentator said it best leads were, we're probably going to be happy that they did not concede 
at that point. And I think Everton were definitely feeling, you know, they should come out quick um, in the second half and look to push for that goal. Yeah, and the first half stats do lean in Everton's favor. Seven to five in shots for Everton, three shots on target to their zero. Of course, most of those being kind of the header chaos. 54.2% possession, a little surprising. It was pretty even, and we ended with five corners to their two. So the question, it, it of course, begs the question of where are the goals going to come from? We have our golden opportunities seemingly dropped to us in the first half. Tarkowski fighting through people, like literally trying to drag him to the ground to win headers on the far post. But where are the goals going to come from? Everton going into this game, the lowest scoring team in the entire division. It's a big, big question going down the stretch and especially going into the second half. Of course, we would eventually find one. Um, but coming into the second half in the 49th, it was a really nice move uh, from between Awobi and Mopai. It's kind of a give and go situation. Uh, Awobi with a good ball into Mopai's feet. He kind of pops it over the top for him to run onto. And then McNeil tries the full volley across the face of goal. And Mopai's also, as soon as he gives it, making the run uh, and almost gets there. So that was a good chance. It's It was refreshing to see Everton come out well to start a second half because so often that's produced just lulls and lapses in concentration and allowed teams like Leeds and others to kind of get themselves back into the game to build momentum. Um, so it was nice to see us kind of really pushing and pushing even from the first whistle of the second half. Yeah. in the 62nd minute, we had another big chance here where it was a nice little combination play between Decorey who had slipped kind of on the left side with Mikalinko and, and McNeil and the ball ball gets inside of Mikalinko and he kind of slips and falls, but this is kind of how it worked for us today. You know, whereas like the one touch, Volley by McNeil. If it's three to left, it goes in. Three feet left, three feet to the right. Mope knocks it in. This is another one where he just kind of slips. I don't know if he's going to finish this one. It's from a tough angle, but it's a possible. But then you look right to his right, and it's a huge chance. Mope is right there. I mean, there's just a little more composure, a little more quality in there. But I, I think after those, you're thinking, yeah, these are big chances, but you just felt like they weren't. It's still, it's like, God, we're just not going to score. You know, unless it's off a corner, we're not going to score. But And I was, I was honestly glad he tried it, that he just took it, because we saw a handful of times in the first half that, you know, like we said, McNeil and Onana didn't just, they didn't get their shots off or Onana had one with his left foot that was just dreadful. Right. And then he skied the other one that Ghana gave to him at the top of the box. So, um, you know, it is tough, but at the same time, I'm like, well, Mikalenko have a shot. You know, we've seen him hit a worldie before, albeit uh, from a harder angle or from a tougher position. And it's on his left foot. I mean, you know, he's he's got some skill with the darn thing. We'll have a conversation a little bit later in terms of why we felt like we, you know, our final third was so off. But look, the magic finally happened in the 64th. Uh, I mean, this was to me, yell out loud, jump up and down. I woke my wife up from a nap. I I was just I'm so serious. uh, Well, I mean, it was just shocking. It kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, I, I, just, I couldn't even believe it. I just was amazing, incredible. Um, by the way, can we mention about the value of assists because Wobi got the assist here? Great assist from Alex <laughs> Wobi. And he had been integral to pretty much every good attacking move we made on the day, whether it was actually the final pass to create the shot or the pass leading up to it, the hockey assist, as it were. Um, but Coleman gets this amazing goal. And it starts with really a Wobi playing that ball over the top into space and Coleman making a really intelligent run kind of inside into that space in behind. Um, Dude, that's and his really, bread and butter for years. Exactly. That's his and run, he, man. And he just, it's, it's reminiscent of a much younger Seamus Coleman. And I think the question is, you know, how lucky was this? But there's no one in the box and, and Meslier is cheating off his line pretty badly. He's kind of in the middle of the six. You don't really expect someone to really give it a shot from there, but Coleman does 
completely exploits that space Messier leaves and rockets it to the far post in the back of the net. Evertonians globally rejoice. You know, I'm I, I have to say, like I said up up top in my in my instant match reaction, I think I think he meant it. Tim Howard disagreed on on kind of the post match analysis, but um, Christian Freymeyer at C Freymeyer, sorry, no luck. He looked over his shoulder before and knew there was no no help coming to the center. He meant that and put it exactly where I needed to be. I personally, I'm on Christian's side. I'm on Andy's side. He looked up. It was clear. No luck involved. You make your own luck. We had the better chances throughout the match. And that is an Everton goal and subsequent win. Well, then we had Riverbend Comics providing the other side of the coin there, who who said, you know, not a terrifically inspiring performance, but he did, and he said, plus you can't tell me Coleman meant it. We'll certainly take the luck though. So I, I saw more people saying he meant it. Definitely looks up and sees Melier off his line. So it's a good hit. It's really a ridiculous angle. I'd love to see the XG on it. I'm sure some people out there will have it. Uh, not a likely position to score. Probably had four or five other chances that were actually better. But all that matters is that it ends in the back of the net and Everton are up 1-0. If you're the keeper, I mean, you just got to be like, oh my God, that did not he happen. He was so mad at himself. He, he was just, they just kept showing. Oh, it's so bad, the coverage too, because it's like constant close-ups on him. He's just shaking his head. He's just so disgusted. Um, he was playing a very good match up to that point, too. Um, I think he means it, too. I mean, he looks. He definitely looks. And Coleman is, is I mean, his bread and butter. He's not necessarily the most elegant crosser, but he will rip it into the goal a lot. And we've seen him in the past uh, many years ago score a lot of goals, not from that angle, maybe. Um, but yeah, it's magic. I mean, I'd love to hear what he says. You know, he'll be honest about it, I'm sure. Uh, others may make something up. <laughs> But look, you know, at that point, I mean, we, we were playing fine. We had more of the ball. Uh, I was a little concerned after kind of the ruckus in the first half because I thought we tailed off a little bit. And I was concerned in general that the second half things might open up more. And and that's when our, our back line might get exposed, especially when they introduce Brendan Aronson, who's very quick. And, and they have some options off the bench. But at that point, we we're five to zip in shots. I mean, and, and but, uh, you know, it's very interesting after the goal where we. We sat back a bit more. I mean, we, we were running a lot. We were attacking the ball, but it was doing it from deeper. I just felt like the match just got kind of chaotic. I mean, if you look at the rest of the way, the shots were three to three. Uh, they had much more of the ball, almost 60%, and it was a bit nervous. The tackling stats are hysterical. I mean, Leeds just flying all over the place, pressuring 18 attempted tackles the rest of the way for Leeds to Everton's five. They were only successful with eight. Everton had 11 clearances after the goal. I mean, that's a lot. Um, we saw two subs look like Onana forced Deitch's hand. Um, Sims came in for the moped about the 81st. I, I got to bring this up because, I mean, look, there are five subs now. Um, it seems to me that that is something you could use to your advantage. But we've looked in the past and um, in one of our previous episodes, we mentioned that Sean Deitch teams are very almost never sub. Uh, not almost never, but certainly, I mean, one year he was like 20 subs fewer than anyone else in the league. So uh, there's a dialogue about this. And and I want to go through some of the Twitter comments and maybe talk about, is it a concern? Why are we doing it? So um, maybe I'll first kick off. Like There are a couple comments in here too. Alex, you want to hit something? Yeah, I just want to talk about whether we liked the subs um, <clears throat> or not, right? Just Fair. just real quick what we thought of. Um, I know uh, Onana coming off really wasn't a choice and 
Davies, that one was a given just because of who we had on the bench, right? He was going to come into central midfield. That was a lock. Um, Sims, though, I got to be honest, in the 81st minute, based on what we saw too, I kind of liked, I, I didn't hate that sub at all. I thought it was pretty good. I thought it made sense to an extent. Um, Mope had been running the socks off on pressure. And I, I'm curious, before we get into just the number of subs, what y'all thought about the Sims sub at the end? Well, I think Kev at Nebula in 1979, Kevin Dyer hits it decently kind of talking about no real like for like sub when you're talking about Mopai. I mean, I saw people asking for Damari Gray to come on to maybe try to hit him on the break because as you said, Ryan, they did have more possession. They were kind of pushing. Um, and DU football show at DU football show said he can put Gray up top and just let him run. And then we see Sims come in. Uh, obviously, I think the real shock was Sims getting the start in the Derby last week. Dice clearly putting faith in the youngster, at least in this sense, in a late sub appearance, try to win some long balls in the air and just sort of possess the ball in Leeds half. Uh, as best we can to run out the clock. I, I saw the logic behind the gray sub, but Alex, I'm kind of with you. And the one thing about Ellis Sims that I've seen in him is he's very smart and he's composed. And um, sometimes you want him to be more aggressive. Uh, I'd like to see him get angry sometimes. Uh, and and that and a lot of scouts I've talked to have said that that's what they think is going to hold him back, you know, kind of that aggression. But I thought at the time, my concern always with him is more on the defensive end. Um, I think he'll do fine finding space. He's not going to box anyone out, really control the ball. He may flick over a, a header, but we saw a little bit, some of the vision, some of the drifting into space. Does Gray come in though and run behind and score one though? I, I don't know. Does Gray make the pass to Ducore to make him one-on-one across the pitch, right? I mean, that's the question. I no, guess, no, in, in no, no. He, he takes it and he tries <laughs> to dribble by eight people. Head goes straight down. What are you talking about? You know, I overall, I just wanted to say, you know, I thought from his performance, right? The majority of the time he was on the ball, he had one nice, nice turn inside the box to rinse. I don't know. I think it was Koch at that point. He um, showed a little more pace know, than you thought he had on that play. He did. He? he did. He linked up with his teammates pretty well. You know, a lot of times when he wasn't on the end of a clearance, it just wasn't near him to an extent. Um, but why don't we, why don't we hop into the lack of subs discussion? Um, yeah, c- because we, like at Sean Robinson, oh, nine, I think here's the point. He's like, they all look so effed right now. And yeah, they did. And and I felt the same thing. And, and, you know, I had a good dialogue with, uh, at Juan Kubo and, um, representing our, um, South American amigos. And I, I think the conversation's pretty good with him. He's a, he's a pretty observant football guy. And, and his point was at this moment, team is not playing at anything. So why not bring in new blood? At least they could run behind the ball the rest of the game, because I think he's right in a way, like we weren't really playing with any sort of fixed identity. There wasn't, there wasn't some systemic reason that that you couldn't plug someone else in there. I think it's a really good point. And it's just going to get to and look, they're not they haven't trained all year to play like this. Um, that being said, there are more stoppages of play now, I would say. Uh, Leeds had lots of subs. There are less of a reason necessarily to sub. Um, yeah, I, I think it's a little bit of a concern, though. I mean, I recognize we don't have the deepest bench, but. Jeez, you're telling me like even at the, at the end, like if you put in a Ben Godfrey or Mika Linko just to put fresh legs out there, that's not maybe a better a better match. I, I don't know. I th- I don't know. I, I would sub more. I think everybody else does. And I think for good reason. Yeah, I think just the, the work rate that Sean Deich demands and has really been getting from the team. The problem is you look at the guys who've worked been working the hardest. I mean, Onana got yanked with the potential injury, which I think he said post-match didn't seem that serious. I think the exact quote was that it's manageable. And you bring in Tom Davies, and then you have literally no other center mids to sub. So you're looking at, as Alex said at the top, four potential center halves on the bench to bring in. And yeah, Mason Holgate. Uh, you have Vinagre, who God knows if we'll ever see him actually play another minute the rest of the season. It's crazy. 
But I do think with the work rate that Dice demands, you do have to give guys a break, especially when you're kind of just you're not necessarily looking to score. I mean, if you want to put Gray up top, run in behind, you got to fortify your back line as well to just be able to kind of run around and just cause chaos because that's what the game really was at that point. The last 20 minutes of that game were really just chaotic with us clearing everything, sending it long and trying to just run out the clock. I mean, there's a risk in that, you know, you've built some chemistry with the players, but I just I think at a minimum I would have subbed out one of the fullbacks and put on someone with a little more athleticism and maybe even some size in in Godfrey just because you knew they were going to have a corner or two and granted they're not big or dominant in the air but you know you've basically got Tarkowski there you really don't have any height at all in the side I mean you say Sims is in there but I mean that's it even Tarkowski is a strong guy and he's maybe six one I mean he's not a big guy neither is Cody. So I thought that would have helped. Uh, and, you know, never know. I mean, Ben Godfrey is such a good athlete to shut down someone with tired legs. I mean, he could be pretty exhausting and useful. We'll see how he works. You know, he, Dice doesn't know the team all that well yet, or else he wouldn't play Cody. Uh, but, you know, we'll see how how that goes. Um, I would be remiss, James, though, if we didn't bring up the the massive chance in the second half that Alex already brought up. Um I don't, I mean, the less said about this, maybe the better, but um, to Sims's credit, the fact that he saw him there and had the vision and, and, and ability to get him the ball was impressive. Um, yeah, dogs of war at Tony Hiberto. Love it. Uh, yeah, you could see when he didn't join McNeil's run, he's knackered. I mean, Decore was dead here. Uh, Aronson is very fast, but oh my Lord, you got to do better than that, don't you? Like Alex said earlier, with the Mikalenko kind of flub shot, you just have to take a shot. And it is like Sims with eyes in the back of his head or he checked his shoulder, but the ball kind of flicked over the top to Decore wide open in on goal. He has time for three touches and then he tries this cutback and hits it off his opposite leg. Very clumsy, but he was exhausted. It's a golden chance. It's the type of moment that's so big in a match that people will then use to say, Oh, Decore, you know, Decore sucked today. He was bad. Yes, it would have put the game to bed and made things much more comfortable. It's a bad miss. There's no getting around it, but it doesn't detract, I don't think, too much from what was a really good performance from Decore on the day as a whole. Yeah, it, it reminds me of that moment. I think it was maybe against Wolves a year or two ago, a couple of years ago, in which he kind of miscontrols the ball in the box, does like his own spin, and then just rockets it in the top right corner. And you're just like... Where was that miscontrol this time, Ducore? No, there was no pressure. You had all the space in the world. Please, why? Yeah, just tap yeah, it in, it was, buddy. I it, it just, I mean, you didn't have to. You know, the sad part is, too, he hits his own leg. Otherwise, he's rinsed Aronson, and he probably scores. And which was even more strange is that later, he gets this ball on the right side, dribbles by two people, gets to the touchline, and you're like, how did he... Where was that right. energy? You know, it's it's weird. He has like, I, I think he has like a recharger button because he looks <laughs> looks completely dead at times. And then all of a sudden he like hits it. And it's just like, boop, 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 boop. you know, he like <laughs> gets injected with some sort of new power. And then like the last five minutes, he was a maniac. I mean, that was a really good chance because Davies, it's a great shot. And then gone, I think it was the one that missed it kind of toe down. And that was the game. Excellent work by our ball boy throwing an extra ball on again. Did you see that? <laughs> Yep. Love it. Yep. You know, they didn't really get the core, the goal kickoff. It was great. And some of their, some of their assistants were really mad about it, but, but look, I mean, summary it, it, overall, I think the, the stat of the match really is at least didn't have a shot on target. And, and look, this is second, actually pretty crazy. I, di I didn't realize that until I read that on here. Well, and it's funny in the second half, there were those two set piece chances, which I didn't think either were really fouls. I mean, Tarkowski was a foul, but they weren't calling it all game. The other one was just absolutely nonsense and not a foul. I can't believe they even called it. And Harrison absolutely tanked both of those free free kicks. Um, otherwise, they might have been big. The only the big chance was 
the one play where Bamford did the step over, where we had all our slow guys back, backing up as usual, both the center halves go flying to the ball, completely abandon the players behind them. And, and you're just you're watching this play out. You've seen this happen already now throughout the season. It's that's the moment where I would have been on here with my stupid note saying we have the worst back line on the planet, because maybe we do. <laughs> And just Bamford, you could tell just a guy that's not, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't feel like, it just doesn't maybe have, I mean, it's something he does anyway. I don't want to get into mentality when I don't know these players. That could have been a big chance. It really didn't become a chance, but that was it. I mean, so a little bit of luck, a little bit of them being poor, uh, but we were defensively sound for the most part and certainly organized. Yeah, without a doubt. And I mean, reflecting on it now, it's easy to say they had no shots on target. They barely threatened, but I still felt pretty scared every time they got the ball and were attacking with pace. I mean, it's very nerve wracking. Even the set pieces, Jack Harrison, I think the last time he played us, he had like, he actually, I think he got pocketed by Coleman uh, that last match as well, but he was terrible today in my opinion as well. I mean, look, I mean, who wouldn't be nervous running into space against Coleman, Cody, Tarkowski, Mikalenko. I mean, (laughs) fair point. Yeah. And, And honestly, if you look, you want to look at our side, I mean, Yeah, that's a problem. Now, the thing is, we're already, you know, once we got up, you know, that situation isn't going to really play out that way anymore. And you saw the dice pulled pulled back a little bit. But um, yeah, up to that point, it it felt a little bit not quite like the Wolves match, but it's like one where you didn't want to get to that point late in the match where you felt like, geez, we should have three points out of this. Let's commit just a few too many forward and get struck going back. So it's so I'm happy that Coleman scored when he did. I mean, it basically saved us in many ways. Um. You know, Nebula has a comment here, which I think is interesting. He talked a little bit about how we attacked without purely using a Dominic Calvert-Lewin style, you know, target type guy. And it was effective at times, even if if the quality wasn't there, I thought. Yeah, Kevin Dyer said, we showed away how to play without Dominic Calvert-Lewin, at least at Goodison Park. That is that is a bit of a caveat. We used with attacking support um, through the through the midfield. Uh, plus, we worked through the channels. You know, Mope was running all night long there and did a really good job with his positioning. Um, Mope slash Sims hold up play was excellent. Definitely agree there. Fullbacks, not a problem at home. Took away leads, wide attack, plus dominated the midfield. Um, strong game management from Dyche and the team itself. Uh, but subs would be nice. And then, of course, everyone's asking the question, Gray, question mark. Um, you know, the debate will live on, I think, until we actually see Gray get any minutes whatsoever any sort of you know solid minutes and um you know as as you said we're still you know Daish is still learning the team as we've seen with you know the sims and now mope up top um but otherwise i definitely agree with what kevin said here yeah and i mean the stats bear that out you look at the xg from mark stats mark our stats bought we won one nil we had 1.41 xg to their 0.75 i think that 0.75 might even be a little generous i've seen other models go as low as 0.6 um, and the possession was 51 to 49, so pretty level, but we clearly had the better chances. So we can belabor the point about lack of subs and whatnot, but ultimately we outplayed them, we outperformed them, and they didn't have a shot on target. And I think you have to take that any day of the week. Our big chances were basically the the headers in the first half. The rest of that, we kind of had a, like a smattering of semi-high XG chances and we didn't convert them, but we did convert, obviously, the Coleman chance, and that's what matters. We escaped with a 1-0 win. And there's no question it's a massive result. I mean, it's the first time the bottom three have won in eight years. I saw that stat somewhere. I, I, I that's crazy. That. doesn't seem possible to me, but uh, maybe maybe I just think that we have more parity than we truly do. 
Um, I think it's very interesting, too, because it kind of brings in Wolves, West Ham for sure. Forrest got a huge point again. I, I don't think that was deserved. I really think that should have been a red card and ascending off. Uh, Howland missed it. Just an absolute sitter at one point. But, man, it's the Kaylor Navas effect. The guy's a genius in a way, even when he doesn't do anything. Leicester seems like they have too much attacking talent. But even in their last match where they won, I thought they looked like garbage. I'll tell you what, though. Janelle scoring in like the six minute of extra time against Palace to, to earn them a draw. I mean, that brings them in, too. So it is a big log jam almost all the way up to 12th now. Um, I'll say this, too. You look at some of these teams, there are going to be some good players that get relegated this season. But is it really worth our time spending that much being concerned about the results around us? I, I, I struggle with this a little bit because I can't really help myself, but we just need to win, don't we? Yeah, I mean, it's it's like impossible not to focus on them, right? When you're in a, you know, when you're in any position in the table, except for maybe like literally mid table, your object of what what the rest of the season is gonna gonna happen. Um, but I think overall, it was just important to see a win uh, for us to build confidence and focus on our performances. You know, overall, I think the messaging is. Daesh came in um, a tough set of uh, first three matches. We've got two wins out of three, you know, two clean sheets out of three. Um, we're seeing, you know, he, he's testing the limits on, on a couple of players. And I think that we're seeing, um, you know, it, it was very simple after Coleman scored the goal, how confident we looked and how we moved the ball. I remember for like a five or 10 minute stretch. I mean, it almost looked like Tiki Taka, something that we haven't seen from the team in quite a while. So it's all about, you know, focusing on ourselves, focusing on our performances. Um, and I, I think overall, it just comes down to we have enough quality in the squad to stay up. We just need to see consistency. We need to see guys like Onana um, and Dominic Calvert-Lewin healthy for, for good stretches of the remainder of the season. Yeah. And speaking of good performances, we do have our selections for good performances. There were plenty to choose from. I'm going to kick us off and go with the most glaringly obvious choice, and that is El Capitan himself, Seamus Coleman, who, as we said earlier, was three for three in tackles, but also had a couple clearances in interception. He won three aerials and then a sensational finish to cap it all off. We talked about the fact that he pocketed Nanto and did, to be fair, have a good amount of help from the midfield dropping and supporting him in those wide areas. But, you know, we've talked a lot recently about Seamus Coleman and Mikalenko, their shortcomings as outside backs can't really get forward all that much. But every now and then, man, Seamus Coleman just puts in one of these performances and he rolls back the years and he looks like he's back in his prime. He can't do it every week. No question about that. But when he does, it's a beautiful sight to see. And, you know, clearly one of the most lovable Everton players in recent memory and Premier League history, without question. Decent money spent on that guy, huh? Glad we paid that guy. 60 grand, 60 grand, Seamus Coleman. Yeah, the, uh, so, so it's after watching the U21s too, uh, Patterson looked, I mean, he was trying to be his aggressive self, but I don't think his knee looked right. Someone said he was subbed off due to injury. I don't think that necessarily was the case, but it did look no, like he, he maybe, maybe had a knock a little bit in the second half, though he was limping around a little bit. I don't think he was ever going to go 90 anyway, because I feel like he came off about when Garner did too. But it does make you think that we may need James Coleman to contribute for a little bit longer. Yeah, no, yeah. He actually followed up, Nathan Patterson followed up with a tweet saying that he was always only supposed to get 60 minutes. Um, whether, you know, whether that means he still had some pain, you know, is, is to remain to be seen. But the only comment I have, for, you know, regarding Seamus Coleman, I said it at the top about the lineup, you know. Does does Holgate or Godfrey really score that goal if they're going forward? You know, or do they make that same run? I don't know. They it, don't even maybe try partially, that shot. Right, partially tongue in, tongue in cheek, but what? like what? you know, 
Wait, wait, hold up. We're talking about Michael Keane playing center forward this week. Of course he makes that <laughs> Put him at right back, man. Up top, maybe. His brother's a striker. I mean, he could do it. He yeah. looks similar. He's yeah. like a twin. There you oh, go. Boy. He's got it. No problem. You know, I, I, I so otherwise, um, yeah, I think I think Coleman <laughs> makes the discussion that. a lot more difficult for us moving forward, but it only remains to be seen. My good was Alex Awobi. Ryan was probably mad. I got into the dock before him, so I got to choose first. Um, he had an assist today, obviously. I wonder what the expected assist is. He far outperformed that, let me tell you. Um, three key passes, three dribbles, five tackles on the right-hand side. Talk about, you know, I think James mentioned it up top, but talk about locking down Nanto with Seamus Coleman. Um, one interception. He showed the extra bit of creativity that I think other squ- other players in the squad really can't produce. And, you know, there were moments, especially in the first half, where not every pass came off, but he was smart. He interchanged with Coleman well. He can find the passes. Um, you know, he saw uh, Ducore's run in behind off him quite a few times as well. Uh, he had 10 recoveries according to EFC Stato, which is nuts too. Um, you know, I can't lie and say that seeing him on the right-hand side, I feel like, you know, we, we, we hamper his ability going forward to an extent, um, especially when he can't play in the pocket and find space really tucked in um, when he's such pin, so far pinned back. But nonetheless, he's still finding ways to impose himself. Um, I still like the midfield composition without him in there. Uh, so long may it continue. And, and Ryan, I'm, I'm sure uh, that's probably a pretty solid transition for your goods. Yeah, look, it's a way to get your best guys on the pitch for the most part. Gray would be maybe the exception. And and it's not optimal for Awobi, but at this point, it probably is optimal for the team. Um, I, I do wonder, James, at one point you thought maybe flip him. I saw that on Twitter. Yeah. And that might have worked too. I mean, it really might have. And I and I would be surprised if we won't see that at another point this year on a team that maybe a team that maybe um, we can get our fullbacks up forward a little bit of times better and kind of pull those guys back. Um, I think if you're going to do that, you probably want Gray in there instead. Uh, even though McNeil is on your left, so cutting him inside, maybe scoring from distance, might be valuable. Um, but look, you're right. And, and what did we do before Decore? I, I swear to God. I mean, the guy's a machine, but I, I picked Decore and Ghana kind of as a tandem. Because you can never just pick one. You always pick like a smorgasbord of half the team. True. He, sometimes he will, we have to air it out. Sometimes Ryan will list like six. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to reach. I'm going to reach so hard for this good. Well, my, no prisoners. My He's like a hungry, hungry is, hippo of good performance. I don't like. I don't like him up. I don't like staying within the lines. At least I waited for you guys to pick this time before I did it. That's so fair. at times I like took everyone. And I'm like, good luck, boys. You get uh, the scraps today, but they're good right. scraps. Yeah, there's no one else. Have fun. Um, <laughs> in the past, it'd be like Awobi. <laughs> no one else. I normally don't pick a Wobie, honestly, because people think that I'm predisposed to choosing him. But anyway, um, but it's uh, uh, as an aside, the funny part is my daughter now, she doesn't care about any player except for Alex Wobie. So she says this all the time now. It's very funny. So she's like, Dad, I don't really care about Messi or them, but what's Alex Awobi up to? <laughs> so it's adorable. Indoctrination at its finest, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. Well, you know, that is very typical of our schools these days. Uh, anyway, <laughs> sorry. I'm opening up a whole can of... Never mind. This is not a political discussion or a schooling discussion. Anyway, six tackles, four interceptions between the two. Uh, I think 16 recoveries between the two as well. Look, Decore's miss was a killer. I agree. But but look, you know, he led the team in passing accuracy, 86%. And if you think about it, I mean, he had a lot of passes where he had pressure underneath him. Um, and, and Ghana, I thought, was it was just everywhere in the middle of the pitch. Um, look, Decore's going to be what, what he is. He's going to play a little too fast at times. There was that one great steal where he fired a ball immediately into the moped, right, which looked like it could have been a huge play. 
just a little bit off of quality, right? But that's that's it. That was the opportunity. He jumped on it. Um, and look, I mean, Ghana was two for five in, in longer balls. He had some hoof balls out there, but he was fouled three times. I mean, Ghana got hatcheted several times, three dribbles, including the lovely Meg, and really only three turnovers, despite having the ball tight constantly. Questionable back passes at times, but but in his defense that, you know, it takes two to tangle on a pass. And I think he learned very quickly that Connor Cody's not going to move a whole lot. So, hey, man, you may want to wise those up. But I, I just thought as a tandem, um, Anana was pushed up a little bit higher as a target at times and definitely lacks a little positional discipline. And you want him the freedom to kind of do some different things. I thought in that case, both these two guys were the bread and butter and, and Dice tends to play around and outside uh, the midfield rather than through it. I thought today these guys really stabilized the midfield and gave us an advantage on the pitch where we badly need one. Yeah, and I just think the Ghana had a couple errant back passes, as you called out, and Decore had the chance. And normally those are the types of things that people will fixate on and harp on and use the anecdotal evidence to say they had a bad game. But then you look at the performance as a whole, the amount of ground they covered, the amount of recoveries they had, how instrumental they were in supporting Everton defensively in the wide areas. And it's really hard to not just like, you just kind of got to get over those momentary lapses or, or individual mistakes and look at the performance as a whole. And I agree with you, Ryan. I thought they were both excellent. Yeah. And yeah. I think, I think if you're going to have your full, if you're going to have your, your wide players like a Wobie and a McNeil tracking back constantly and sitting pretty deep, when you've got your wide players tracking back constantly and sitting deep, um, you kind of need the energy from midfield to charge forward and make those passing lanes kind of like we saw Ducore do with Awobi over the top and, and, and through the back line. So um, we had SC Canuck obviously agree with Ryan here and said, man of the match, Ghana for me. He was a killer in the midfield. His specialty equivalent of a shutdown corner in the NFL. I like that comparison. That's uh and we saw that, too, on the corners as well, too. And that's the thing, man. I mean, you got to win your matchups, right? You got to win your battles. Um, so I guess instead of us kind of picking out bad culprits today and, and some people maybe didn't have as good a match as others, I, I think it's fair to ask, you know, this is three games in charge now for our, our esteemed head coach. What questions do we have that kind of remain? And, and Clyde Verdon Jr. sent us one earlier, which I think is a good one. And, and, you know, I mentioned something about the lack of quality in the final third for Everton was apparent, but the chances were there. Um, when the match starts opening up, you know, and, and we're trading chances, how, how do we do? And, and his comment was really wanted this to be a broader discussion for the pod today. Um, his quote is, we have players who literally, this is their only job in putting the ball on target. Why Everton are so poor. And this is beyond me. Um, and there were some similar sent sentiments. I mean, Crypties basically said, other than unusually poor form, poor performance by Anana, feels a miracle victory since no Everton players know where the net is in open play. And although he is decidedly negative at times, which I think for good reason, um, I felt that way, way too. Um, and then at Josh, Josh Hogan, you could say that about the entire squad. No one has any conviction, confidence to shoot the ball. Well, the only counter I'll have to that is, and SC Canuck and I were going back and forth a little bit. He's he's a hockey guy too, um, even if he's down in South Carolina, a La Habitant fan. Which James, I'm sure you get a bunch of those annoying guys up there. Uh, <laughs> they're they're fanatics, and and we we're making the comparison. Like, look, I, I get it, and and I think you can expect a football player to be a football player at times. Um, 
But my comparison was it's like asking Jonathan Druin, little creative playmaker, to just smash through some people and go to the net and bang one in. He's not he's not going to do that. I mean, you're not really either you're not playing to his strengths or you can't really expect him to do that out of instinct or like a super defensive defenseman. I think I, I use Marcus Peterson um, for the Penguins like he's not going to start dancing around people and bury one in from the slot. So when you got a guy like Onana having the ball, the top of the 18 you know, he doesn't really know what to do with it. You know, he takes one touch too many, doesn't hit it first time. He's not, he's not a goal scorer. It's not, you know, it's at some time in the final third, you can create movement. You can design attack, but guys, you know, the instincts got to kick in and you've got to, you know, you see that moment and you just do it. And really the only guy we have in there, that's really a natural goal scorer is, is the moped. And he had a couple chances, but if he's making the near post run and it goes to someone else, is Mikalenko really going to bang that one in that often? I mean, you shouldn't really expect that. Um, I don't know what your guys' thoughts are there. I, I just think that's what it is. It's not we're having chances, but I think we've got some guys that maybe you're not. We just don't have a lot of natural goal scorers in there. Yeah, I mean, you look at the goal scoring record in blue of pretty much our entire squad, and there's I think they they announced it on the broadcast. Dwight McNeil is the only Everton player with like three goals and three assists, or like that. That's like he's like the highest goal scorer and assister in the squad. So you don't really have. You know, the, we have guys who play striker, but they just don't always get great chances. We know that we're not good at progressing the ball um, in certain squad compositions. We resorted to hoofball. I think, you know, Neb made the point earlier. We kind of found a different way to play today without Dominic Calvert-Lewin, but we just haven't created chances and low volume in shots equals low volume in goals. Um, saw some improved chance creation today. Set pieces, I think, are really going to be so important for us down the stretch. You look at what James Tarkowski can do. You look at what a guy like Yeri Mina could probably do if we bring him into the fold at some point. Like That's going to be so important. I We were most threatening from set pieces today. And I think you just need to get utilize the creativity of guys like McNeil, like Awobi in wide areas and exploit that, even if it does result in a ton of crosses to Mopai, who's not going to win a ton in the air. That seemed to work today to a certain extent and maybe is the route forward. So so on the topic of players, right, and Dwight McNeil, <clears throat> because the original question was, you know, we have players, I'm assuming this is probably a note to him, we have players that are here just because they can essentially serve a ball. Ryan mentioned he was 3 for 15 in crosses. His pass accuracy wasn't great today, but Sean Dyche come in, he's got three starts and three for Dyche on the left-hand side. We've seen him get some, you know, some sort of, if you can call that consistent minutes for Everton now. What are we thinking in regards to his role, right? I mean, Clearly, Damari Gray is one that drops out because of him. Um, you know, he he's got his strengths compared to other players, but we saw Awobi, for example, take taking some taking some free kicks or, or corners uh, today as well. He's tough to judge, isn't he? Because you look at the effort and you look at how many times he was on the ball today, and then you look at the relative lack of quality. I will say this: I he's better at crossing and serving a ball than I think he was a little bit today. I think part of that's a byproduct of not having a good target in there, uh, or maybe just working on it a little bit more. And, you know, other times he's kind of crossing it to almost draw the corner, which I think is a positive thing. It's, you know, it's, it's okay. It's one way to play and we're dangerous on those. I, I just, we know he, he's not quite as pacey. I think he's more pacey than some realize because he's tall. Um, we know he's super one footed. We know that. Um, and I, I don't think he was ever bought with the intent in being a, a, a superstar player. I think he was bought as being a, he's still relatively young. I think he just turned 23 and, um, at least he has a role and we're not giving up much. At least the efforts there. Um, but at the expense of, of gray and I don't know, I, I, I think, well, I guess I'll ask this. 
if we're down a goal, is Gray coming on? Does Dwight McNeil ever come off is the question. And I, I don't know. I think he did a good job today, but it's, I think a lot of fans watch and, and think that when you don't show quality, it's so much more of a negative and kind of ignore the fact that, well, you did a lot to get yourself in positions to show quality, if you know what I mean. Well, you know, we've talked about, right, because who in midfield's playing on that side consistently and that your answer is Onana, right? And we, we've talked about Onana's, you know, um, positional awareness or lack thereof sometimes and, and the the fact that he needs to get back quicker and and the fact that he needs to be a little more defensive minded at times, you know, is that an effect? It, it does, does, does the midfield affect, you know, who you're playing on the left hand side too, right? Gray, if he's not as defensively aware or or solid you know, do you need someone like Ducore on that side to play him? Is that a factor in, into the decision-making at all? I don't know. I'm just spitballing. But I think that sometimes, you know, it's not as cut and dry as, you know, can we get the extra uh, additional attacking output and pace, uh, you know, for, uh, let's say, a trade-off on slight defensive effort? No, I think that's a fair point. Because, look, say you put a Wobi in there at left center mid and having him teaming up, it looks very different. Now he's got a supporting person that could play him in and we can control the ball a little bit. And ideally, you'd like to have that type of player all over the place but you know Sean Dyche is choosing who he thinks is the best people to make him solid in the midfield and that's what you get and maybe even DeCorey who's a little more active in the in the attacking final third he's sloppy too but he you know he has some assists and can play a through ball that type of thing so yeah it's hard Alex because I mean it's a fluid match you know it's a fluid game and you've got to judge people on their own merits Um, but I do think it is a safe defense of him saying he's pretty isolated I mean he's kind of having to create everything himself um, the decision-making was better this time, but I mean, he was poor against Liverpool in terms of it. I'll tell you what, though, no matter what, you got to give the guy credit for the effort. I mean, it's there. 100%. Um, so I, I think in transition too, I think Connor Cody played a decent match today. I, I, still, w- I still wouldn't have him in, in the lineup at all, but I don't think there was anything that jumped out at you that said, oh, we need to drop him if you thought he was good from to begin with, which Dice clearly does. And the same thing with Mikalenko. I thought Mikalenko was was improved. I, I still don't think he's great, but um, you could see how he could be effective in, an, in a, a match that was refereed in a way that he could be more more aggressive. I wonder what happens if he picks up like an early yellow. You know what I mean? Does he eventually yeah. make way? I mean, I could see that. Um what about uh, the moped? Did he do enough to keep his spot if DCL is still hurt? Uh, Dan Thomas at DT1878 done well today. Um, I've defended him a lot. I actually think he's a pretty good player, even though we're not really playing in a style that's super conducive. There was one moment where he got the ball in the final third where he did a funky little dribble and and you could see his value because he got into a spot where the Leeds defenders are looking around like, what the heck is this guy doing here? Uh, and, and can create some havoc. We're probably not going to see a lot of that. But as a not really a target player, but as playing be- back behind goal at times today, I'll tell you what, in a more tightly refereed match, too, I think he's going to draw a few more fouls. Yeah, he, he's a lot stronger than people think. People are like, well, he's short. Well, that doesn't mean that you're soft or weak. He's a tough guy. That's not it. And his movement at times was good. I mean, he's got to keep a spot if Dominic Calvert-Lewin's hurt, right? I think so. I think it's pretty clear. And it's not even really that fair to say, okay, well, Sims was terrible in the Derby and Mopa had a good game today. Totally different opponents of vastly different quality. But you saw what Mopai can do if he gets the ball to feet. He can be a good hold-up guy in that context. He can distribute it well. He can facilitate for other guys, get the ball wide, move the ball effectively in the final third. I mean, he did create that one shot for himself today. It wasn't the best finish and great hit, but he can do those things. I think he can do them well. Um, it does. I don't think we saw a dramatic shift in style to necessarily like suit what would be optimal for Neil Mopai and a Neil 
if you were trying to build a team around him. But you saw that he can piece things together in the right moments, a little inconsistent. He gave it his all trying to win a lot of aerials. It just isn't going to happen for a guy of his size. But, you know, you also value the uh, the ability to draw fouls, to rile the opposition up, and those things uh, are, are also pretty important as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Mope gives you more. Uh, then, then you lose if you were to to go with Ellis Sims, right? I mean, he doesn't have the size and maybe the aerial ability, but you know, if I'm looking at Everton are having a hard tra- time creating chances, uh, Everton are having a hard time finding players in the box. Which one of those players is going to or has the ability to create a chance for themselves, right? Which one does? Because we saw with Mope today. Um, you know, I think there are different uses for both of them. But, you know, you talk about leaning on experience. Um, you talk about the fact that he still showed good interplay with his teammates. Um, and the fact that I think that he creates a lot more space uh, for for other players to to be able to operate in than Ellis Sims does with his runs and and his movement in general, too. And, and I think all those things play a factor. And it's good to see that he got a start and, and very significant minutes today. And I think he proved a point to Dyche. I think he really did. And he had a couple really nice bits of movement in the box where we took shots. Uh, I can't remember. It was the Dwight McNeil volley that he almost got on the end on with the nice movement. And there was one other one where it was either an errant shot or a pass to him. But he makes those sort of runs to the back post to kind of look to clean up scraps or get a misplaced ball. Um, I think those things are really valuable as well. So I, I was really pleased with this performance. Today. He had three shots. The header was really good. It was saved off the line. Yep. The other one was weak, but it was still a shot on target where we were lacking them. And yeah, I, I just think that he, he's the better player. And I think you go with him and you deal with some of his weaknesses. You're right, Alex. Not a perfect stylistic match. And, and James, like we're not doing anything all that dramatically different, but he's got enough about him that I think he can hold it down for a little bit longer and, and maybe even come in if we play a 4-4-2. Um, and we're chasing the game or something and just wreck havoc. Uh, the matchup next week against Villa is going to be really interesting, I think, and see how he comes out. They're, they're definitely a different side. Um, so, all right, let's, uh, let's kind of get into the final word, shall we say. They, we've got a couple pretty good listener comments. Um, I'll tell you what, a ton of, it seemed like a lot of Americans were at the match um, today, which, I mean, had to be a good one to go to. Yeah, you yeah, really had, took a had- gamble. You really have to take a gamble going over in times like these. I mean, I went to the Chelsea match last year. I mean, that was the first blue smoke. Like, it was just so, I'm like, are you kidding? And Max is, that's his first match ever. So Max is like, oh, this is normal, right? I'm like, no, dude, this is not normal. This is like. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure James and I are not welcome back at an away game at uh, Stanford Bridge based on what we saw, but I'll leave that one. You know, we had a uh, coach Connell um, tweet, you know, some, some fun pictures in American toffee from New Jersey made the, the uh, trip over one of the best days of my life. Um, definitely a solid one. I think uh, you'll probably get the same treatment of James and I, in, in which you're not allowed to leave the country. Now <laughs> yeah, you exactly. have to book your stay for the next uh, 90 days to be exact. Um, we also had Ryan Reynolds, at Ryan Reynolds, 86, might be one of the few times all season when I can say Everton probably should have won two or three nil instead of one. They got a little panicky near the end, but escaped with three points. And at this point, I don't want to be critical, just appreciative of this momentary life raft. And I thought that was funny how you put it. We also had Sean Khan, yet again, conductor of the optimism train. Choo-choo! said massive result today this game was ugly but everton overall had the better passages of play and if there was a game to play hoofball with how windy it was dot 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 this was it mopai did excellently to make the first pass and coleman outside of pocketing nanto outstanding goal utft couldn't have said it better myself optimism train 
well and truly in motion, much needed. I mean, this was if this had lost if we'd lost this yeah. game, it would have been really bleak. Really, That's really what bleak. I was thinking. I mean, things would have gone very, very bad. We're in the thick of it right now. Um, leads don't look like they're full of confidence. I mean, that was a bad perf- we've seen some bad performances this year. I thought they looked particularly toothless. And look, some of the other teams down below that even though they beat us weren't good either. So you got to hope eventually people will catch them. It's wide open. Anyone can beat anyone. I'm not too, you know, there's not, I know a lot of people are like, well, you still got the big six left. None of those teams do I look at and say we can't beat. Um, City is going to be tough, obviously, but the other guys, I mean, not the way we're playing. And as long as we remain difficult to break down, um, I just hope that Sean Dice continues to improve the team. They understand the system better and collectively improve. I still got big concerns about the back line, but it didn't matter today. Massive three points for us. I mean, you know, it, we're in it. You know what I mean? We're, we're not out. We're not dead. And um, yeah, this is just a massive win. Completely agree. It's nice to uh, get the fifth one of the season. Much needed. And we will take it and we will run with it. Villa coming up another massive game before we play Arsenal again. Things are going to get rocky. It's not going to be a smooth ride for the end of the season. So buckle up, ladies and gentlemen. But we very much appreciate you taking the time to listen to our breakdown, and we hope that you enjoyed it. If you did, please leave us a rating and review on your podcast platform of choice. Follow us on social media. You can find all the links in the description. Join our Discord as well. If you're not already on there, you definitely should be. Otherwise, we'll be with you next time. Until then, up the toffees and sack the board.